Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts... Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am welcoming back one of my favorite people that I've talked to on the pod, uh, Tage Seth. Thank you for coming back. Tage is an R&D intern at PFF. He is also a member of Michigan Football Analytics, and he is a suffering Detroit Lions fan is how I would... That seems fair, right? That's fair. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks so much for having me back on. Um, quick story before we start here. Uh, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm a student now in college. So, you know, sometimes people know if I like, did a couple podcasts or something and they'll ask me like, oh, if I have time to listen to just one of them, uh, which one would you recommend? And I was I would always send yours over um, like when I came on over the summer, not because of like what I said or anything. I thought you were just such a good host and oh, you're thanks. so knowledgeable about the game. Like I wanted them to listen to that. So. You know, my pleasure to come back on your uh, podcast here and, and talk to you today. That's really that you just made my day. Thank you. That that was awesome. <laughs> uh, well, so right before I like for for those listening, right before we sat down to record, probably about an hour and a half or so before, uh, a report came out that I feel like we have to kind of address just because like it's probably the biggest talking point in Denver right now. Uh, after last off season, it looks like the Broncos would have no chance at trading for Russell Wilson, who seemed to want out of Seattle. His agent reported last off season that there were four teams that he would waive his no trade clause for. 
The Broncos were not one of those four teams last offseason. I want to say it was the Giants, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Bears. And then the Bears went all out and tried to trade for him. Didn't work out. And then they ended up cutting Kyle Fuller in part because of it. Kyle Fuller became a Bronco. That's, you know, the whole kind of run up. Broncos fans have been wanting Russell Wilson kind of ever since. But, you know, the no trade clause has always kind of been the, well, if he doesn't want to come here, it's not going to happen. Well, the report today is that he will consider waiving his no trade clause to go to the Broncos. And another report, this one from KOA's uh, Benjamin Albright, was that, I, and again, I don't have it right in front of me, but I want to say it was the Broncos and the, and the Saints were the, his two preferred teams. Uh, and that, to me, is really interesting, in part because the Saints, at least, and you brought this up right before we got on, so I, I hadn't even thought about it. Saints don't have cap room. So it's it's kind of a situation where I feel like the Saints could probably create cap room because um, the Saints always kind of try and find ways to create cap room. Yeah. Uh, but looking at the over-the-cap numbers as of right now, they are $61 million in the hole for 2022. Uh, and over-the-cap is pretty good about keeping on top of that kind of stuff. So it would take a monumental effort to create enough cap space to absorb Russell Wilson's contract. Um I want to say I'm looking at this right now. He would cost about $30 million in cap space against the cap, uh, assuming that you don't renegotiate his contract. Uh, the Broncos, obviously, they do have that kind of cap space. I want to say they have $48 million in cap space next year. Basically, any quarterback, any big move is actually on the table for George Payne, which is one of the things that's so great about this offseason or this last offseason for the Broncos, just because. I know Broncos country is kind of stuck in this, like we're six and six. The playoffs look like a long shot, but the thing is the Broncos have a lot of flexibility to move forward and kind of build around the foundation that Peyton's laying. And there's a chance that Russell Wilson's kind of part of it. Uh, I have, I, I kind of feel I have conflicted thoughts about it. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, it's a lot of, Russell Wilson in the first half of the 2020 season, kind of lighting the NFL on fire and playing at, you know, a very, very high level um, and, you know, passing at a high rate and, um, and doing all the stuff you'd want to see out of your quarterback. And then in the second half of the season last year, we saw him play the Rams three times and not do well in any of those games. Uh, overall, in the second half of the season, he wasn't good. And that led into the playoffs and then kind of bled into this year where I don't think he's been as good as he was in the previous couple of seasons. So yeah, I would have mixed feelings about it too. If, if I was a Broncos fan. And, and the big thing for me, and I, and I, I want to throw this out there for you guys listening. I have not started to study Russell Wilson's tape yet, but just looking at what I've seen from the broadcast angle and then like this, the numbers, Wilson was, I want to say he went 31 and 10 last year with 70% completion percentage through the first 11 games. And then all of a sudden he hit the second, the last five games and he crashed back to like 64%, nine touchdowns, three picks. And then he ended up in the playoffs and he completed 40% of his passes. Uh, I want to say he went 11 to 27 against the Rams in a 30 to 20 loss through two touchdowns, one pick. And then obviously the sack numbers are, kind of insane. I know that's part of the reason why reports are that he wants out uh, is because pass protection has been an issue, but also you and I both know sack numbers tend to be quarterback dependent as much, if not more so than anything else. 
So I don't know necessarily that Russell Wilson going to a new team is going to necessarily fix the fact that he takes a lot of hits. Yeah, I agree. We could see a reverse of kind of when the Broncos transition from Tebow to Peyton Manning. Uh, You know, Tebow held onto the ball for a very long time. Manning was, you know, one of the best quarterbacks ever in NFL history at getting rid of the ball quickly and sorting out protection and stuff like that. So, like, the Broncos, like, sack numbers and pressure numbers dropped dramatically when they made that quarterback transition. So if we see Russell Wilson come uh, into the Broncos, he just makes the offensive line's job harder. Like, as good of a thrower as he is, you know, sometimes he just struggles with not hitting his check down um, and not getting rid, of, get, getting rid of the ball quickly. And the other part of that for me is the fact that that style of play, and again, I love, I've loved watching him since he came into mm-hmm. the league. So like, this is not me. I'm not trying to be one of those traditionalists. That's like, Oh, he doesn't play in structure. Like uh, I worked for Andy Benoit at one point. I know that there was a lot of people early in Russell Wilson's career that actually preferred Matthew Stafford to him uh, mm-hmm. because Stafford plays in structure a lot more. Uh, whereas Wilson's game is kind of schoolyard. Uh, but my concern is Russell Wilson's 34 as he gets older. And as like all these hits are starting to pile up, like I definitely do have some concern about how his game is going to age into the last mm-hmm. kind of stretch of his career. Um, he, and again, full disclosure, he, I want to say he played 149 straight games before this injury this year. And then he, he banged his hand against Aaron Donald, broke his finger and got mallet finger. And that's like a big part of like, Broncos country, I'm assuming the narrative going forward is going to be, well, he got hurt this year, but before the injury, he was incredible. And, and again, I'm not trying to hate on this, but the truth is like, he was not incredible for a, a decent bit. So again, like we kind of probably want to sort out that kind of before we, you know, jump full force into throwing two or three or however many first round picks to mm-hmm. Seattle to acquire. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, we'll probably talk about it more kind of over the next couple weeks. Again, like we still have a season going on. Uh, but that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm excited. I'm definitely intrigued. It's definitely helpful when you consider the fact that, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit, but like the other 22, 2022 quarterback options there, there's not a lot of them that are really exciting. Uh, so for Mm -hmm. the Broncos, especially where the Broncos are at, because they're not near the top of the draft. Russell Wilson kind of almost looks like a lifeline. So, but, but we'll see. Yeah. And I think it's like a kind of a testament to the roster that the Broncos have built where, um, you know, I don't know how much you want to buy into the Aaron Rodgers reports, but I know there's, there has to be at least some interest in joining the Broncos. And then now you have Russell Wilson saying, uh, you know, if this report is true that he would also waive his no trade clause to join the Broncos. So yeah, I think that is just like, something that Broncos fans should be excited about, that they're an attractive destination for quarterbacks to come play in uh, because of the defense and because of the weapons that they have on offense and and just stuff like that in general. Yeah, I I definitely, I I am pretty critical of the Broncos decisions at quarterback last year, just because I I feel like it kind of left them in this like no man's land right now. Mm -hmm. But, But to Peyton's credit, he left them with a lot of flexibility. They had the third most cap space in the league before the Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick re-signings, but both those deals were very, very good in terms of like what it looked like they would make on the free agent market. And I want to say the Broncos still have, I think the ninth most cap space next year. And when you look at their, their own free agents, there are not a lot of big money guys that they have to 
really consider bringing back. They could potentially replace any of them. So they're they're in a really ideal situation if they figure out quarterback. Yep, totally agree. And, you know, some of it, you know, we've been talking about how Russ's play hasn't been as good this year. And, like, I think maybe, you know, he's not, like, fully in it with the Seahawks. Uh, you know, he knows his time is coming to an end there. And, you know, it's hard to play quarterback when you're not, like, 100% concentration or something. But, you know, he came he came back early from the injury, so maybe he is committed. You could go back and forth with it. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just needs a new change of, of scenery and, like, he'll get back to his usual, like, top five quarterback self uh, if he's playing for Denver next year. Well, the other big question I have with it is obviously, like, the Broncos have big questions at offensive coordinator right now. The coaching mm-hmm. situation in Denver – could potentially become very fluid uh, depending on how this last stretch goes. Um, There were reports back during October that George Payton already had a list of potential replacements for Vic Fangio. Granted, I don't fault him. GMs are probably going to have a list like that in a drawer for the guys that they would hire if they have to make that move. But the fact that it was already out in October to me does suggest that this coaching staff is in hot water. Um, And obviously like, Russell Wilson, his style of play takes a certain degree of like bend from an offensive coordinator to really maximize him. So to me, if the Broncos do decide to make that move, and this is one of the reasons why I feel a little bit more comfortable with Aaron Rodgers, even though his age is also, that's a consideration. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with Russell Wilson, if you're bringing him on, you need to make sure that you have the pieces around him to really maximize him, um, which makes him kind of, I don't want to say weird, but kind of makes him weird compared to some of the other like hall of fame type quarterbacks that may become available over the next year or so. Cause like Matt Ryan, um, and again, Matt Stafford's not a Ram, so he's not available, but like Matthew Stafford was like this, where you can envision how he would fit into a Pat Shermer offense. I have questions about how Russell Wilson would, if the Broncos kept him and Pat Shermer in a lot of ways is kind of like your average generic NFL offensive coordinator. Like he does a lot of the things most offensive coordinators in the league do. So, so that is also a consideration. I think that you kind of have to think about going forward, but again, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be, hopefully the off season is a little bit more exciting than just, well, which rookie are they chasing? So, uh, but we're here actually to talk about the upcoming game. That's why I actually, you know, asked you to come on. Um, and I want to say, the Broncos and the Lions are kind of hitting this game in a, in kind of like different sides of the coin in a way. The Broncos had a frustrating loss. It's their 12th straight loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and again, like, I don't think many people outside of Denver expected the Broncos to win that game. But the way they lost was definitely pretty disheartening. On the other side of the coin, the Lions pulled off their upset victory over the, the Vikings. So they won a division game. Kind of got the monkey off Dan Campbell's back. Mm-hmm. Um so like they're kind of riding high while the Broncos are kind of down. I want to also mention that while the lions are one ten and one, they have four losses this year by a combined nine points. And when I've gone over the tape, like this is not, this is not the worst team that I've seen this year. I think Texans actually have a worse roster. Yeah. Um, to like, to me, that's like, it was pretty clear when I was watching both teams. So this kind of feels to me like it could be a trap game. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, the the one ten and one record is a little bit misleading. Um, you know, the Lions aren't like a good football team by any means. 
But when you look at like kind of their point differential compared to other point differential, uh, and you look apply that to give like an expected wins, if we're gonna get a little technical here, um, Sebastian, uh, one of my friends on Twitter, does um, like a kind of like a Pythagorean wins there. And so he has the Lions at an expected uh, wins of three right now. And so they're, they're kind of like 1.5 wins under what they have been expected to be based on their point differential. And that's like what you mentioned with a lot of the, the close losses and stuff like that. So they are better than the, um, the Jets, Jaguars, and Texans in that expected wins metric. But then they rank kind of like 28th there. So like still not that good of a team, even if they're underperforming like where they should be. That has me curious, I, and I don't know if you have it right in front of you, but do you know what the Broncos' Pythagorean wins are? Uh, yeah, sorry, I don't have that that right in front of me. I just wrote down the line. No, it's okay. Yeah, um, it's okay. One, but, yeah. I was just curious. Uh, um, yeah. Because, and the reason I ask is because a couple of weeks ago when the Broncos were 5-5, five and five, there were people asking if this is the worst 5-5 five and five team in NFL history, which to me was ridiculous. To me, football comes down to a game of matchups, honestly. So when you look at this game to me, like there's definitely ways that the lions could upset the Broncos. Like, and I think a lot of fans are kind of looking at, you know, last week was the chiefs two weeks from now is the Bengals. So a lot of fans, and again, that's fair. Fans are going to be like that. A lot of fans are basically like, well, you know, burn the whole thing down if the Broncos lose to the lions. Yeah. But I mean, the Broncos are going to be going into this game. It looks like Bradley Chubb is banged up. Um, he has an, he's cut. He came back from his ankle injury. He now has a shoulder injury that he suffered in the Chiefs game. Shelby Harris is kind of dealing with an ankle injury and just kind of playing through it. Uh, but that'll definitely hurt because he's a significant part of their pass rush. And to be completely fair, Bradley Chubb has not looked like 2020 Bradley Chubb since coming mm-hmm. back so far. Uh, so those two being banged up could definitely hurt the Broncos in a game where they're going to probably need to pressure Jared Goff. Um, and then... The Broncos, and again, I want to mention this since we're talking injuries too. Uh, Bryce Callahan was activated off of injured reserve today. So his 21-day practice window opens. I would be extremely shocked if he played against the Lions. Like there's there's next to no chance they're going to push him into the game. Uh, but it is good news for the rest of the game games going down the stretch. But the Lions are also dealing quite a bit of injuries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah, in regards to the Lions injuries, um, so the kind of the the heart and soul of the offense this season has been like the two running back tandem between DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. And so Swift is, I think, one of the better receiving backs in the NFL, even if he's just kind of like an average rusher. And then Jamal Williams is kind of the other way around where he's he's like a tough rusher. Um, you know, nothing on, on Javante Williams' level on Sunday night or anything, but he's still like a good rusher and he'll churn out those third and twos or the fourth and ones that Dan Campbell really likes going for and stuff like that. So it doesn't seem like Swift will play in this game against the Broncos. Um, He hurt his shoulder pretty badly on, on Thanksgiving. So he should be out a couple weeks. And so it'll be all Jamal Williams. So the Lions won't have that kind of dump off receiving threat that can come out of the backfield and really stretch the Broncos linebackers. And that could be big because the Broncos linebacker, and again, Baron Browning and Kenny Young have played better than I expected, uh, mm-hmm. especially with Baron Browning missing OTAs and training camp and and then Kenny Young being like acquired very late. Like, I expected DeAndre Swift to be able to create 
separation on them. So him not playing could be a pretty big, big absence for the Lions. Um, also, Detroit, and again, this just came out a little bit before we got on, but Detroit's dealing with a bunch of illnesses right now too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that, yeah, I, how do you think that'll impact the game or will it? Yeah, I do think it'll actually have an impact on the game. Um, you know, we've all known that kind of like, you know, illnesses do affect our, us in our daily lives. Uh, if we were to have the flu or the common cold or something. And so there seems to be something going around the Lions locker room um, in which like Jared Goff, uh, Jonah Jackson are one of our guards. Um, and then uh, Julian Oguara, one of our edge rushers, Penasini, one of our like rotational defensive linemen and stuff like that are getting this flu or something. So they weren't able to practice uh, today, Wednesday, which is, when we're recording. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses throughout the week. Um, and, and, you know, if, if they're able to okay when they're traveling to Denver and stuff like that. And the, the big one for me, obviously is Goff, And I would, I would be very surprised if he doesn't like suit up, but, but even mm-hmm. if he suits up, but he's not feeling great, like that still could be a significant edge for the Broncos. Uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, that's going to be something to bear, like, kind of monitor going forward. Beyond the injury report part of it, the the Lions offense versus the Broncos defense, I think the Lions are at their best kind of winning up front because um, I do think that you guys have some talent on the offensive line that could give the Broncos trouble, especially if Bradley Chubb looks as he has. Uh, the Broncos are kind of susceptible to power running teams, and you guys have the personnel to run gap and you guys will mix in gap concepts. Uh, Panay Sewell is going to be very good. Uh, yeah. in the games I watch, like his movement, like his, his ability to move jumps out at you, you know, getting back to when he was at Oregon, but it's one of those things like, he, you know, he took the year off and you yeah. kind of wonder, and then he's throwing 830 pounds. And he moves like a guy who's like a 230 pound guy. Like he moves. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so I'm really high on him. I'm kind of nervous about how that's going to happen because he will end up matching up a lot against Malik Reed. Uh, Malik Reed is about 235 pounds. Uh, he's kind of coming on lately, but he's still like, he has issues with teams with teams that can run power at him. And he also has issues with offensive linemen who can just straight up overpower him, which is Panay Sewell to a T. Yeah, uh, Sewell, Sewell is really interesting, um, you know, because he's, he started the season at left tackle when Taylor Decker was injured, and now he's kind of moved to right tackle um, since week six. And a cool stat I saw about that kind of time frame is that um, only Trent Williams of the 49ers has had a higher PFF grade at tackle since uh, Sewell moved over to right tackle. Okay. So he's playing at a really high level right now. Um, I think he's one of the the best run blockers that I've seen on the Lions. Like like you mentioned, like when he gets out into space um, and kind of getting to the next level and, and run blocking there. His pass blocking is still like hit or miss. Um, there's been a couple of times where the Lions have kind of thrown like a screen, either to the running back or like kind of outside to like the receiver. And Sewell has had to go out and kind of make a block that would like make the screen go for a first down or something. And he's kind of whiffed on those. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I'm still lucky, but he's just a rookie. Uh, he's very young, so so he could get better on that. But that that's definitely where he's susceptible right now. The run game is where um, he's. He, I think he's he's very very good at uh, blocking runs currently. And one of the other things I noticed, uh, this showed up mostly in the Steelers game when I was watching, but the Lions will actually add like a six or even like a couple times against the Steelers. They're bringing like a very heavy personnel grouping and just running it right down the Steelers throat. And given the questions at receiver, uh, it makes sense. And also it would force the Broncos to use their base personnel and probably take a corner off. And that's the strength of the Broncos defense is their corner. So it wouldn't surprise me if they do that. Um, it definitely makes me a little nervous just because I do think the Lions have the personnel up front to kind of bulldoze the Broncos front. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they could add a, a sixth offensive lineman on there. And I could see that happening uh, depending on, you know, kind of like the looks that the Broncos are giving them. And, uh, you know, currently uh, with the way, you know, kind of the Lions strengths are within their running game and the lack of trust in Jared Goff, Dan Campbell might approach this game similarly to how he approached the Steelers game where he is just going to want to run it, uh, you know, and most times it won't be anything like what the Patriots did against the bills. Um, but it'll be, it'll be something where it's like tons of tons of runs and and heavy personnel, uh, especially since, uh, the lions, um, second tight end behind TJ Hawkinson, his name is Brock Wright. He's kind of come onto the scene recently. He caught a touchdown pass from Jared Goff, uh, this past Sunday against the Vikings. And so he might be in there if there's 12 personnel or 12 personnel plus an extra offensive lineman or something like that. And and I'm glad you mentioned Hawkinson because he's, he's the leading receiver by targets, but also, I mean, watching the games, you can tell like he's kind of the featured guy on a lot of the passing concepts. Um, and I, and I already mentioned the Broncos linebackers, but I, I could definitely see Hawkinson being kind of a mismatch weapon against them just because he, he has strong hands. He'll bring down catches through contact. He's a good enough route runner. Um, and he's kind of an underrated athlete. Uh, I want to say his RAS score, a uh, relative athletic score, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Kentley Platt, uh, does that. Um, I want to say he came at like an eight, eight or an eight, some in the eight, eight range, um, which is really good, obviously. Um, so he's every bit the athlete that like Baron Browning is and he's savvier. So that could definitely be a problem. Yeah. Hawkinson should be the, the feature uh, pass catcher in this offense, just because the wide receivers aren't like worth much. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they attack kind of the Broncos defense. If the Broncos stick in that, the too high shell and kind of leave the middle of the field open we could see Hawkinson over the middle of the field, which which is the area I think he's best at because, like you mentioned, he's he's really good at catching through contact um, and and kind of bringing the ball in. Or if they kind of go to the cover three that a lot of defenses have been throwing at the Lions this year, we could see him in the boundary area and uh, and and we'll see if Goff can can make the throws over there to to feed Hawkinson the ball. They run a lot of cover six. Uh, they do mix in a decent bit of quarters. Um, they're going to leave the tight ends on Hawkinson if he's playing in line. Uh, and I like Browning's ability to run with him, 
Uh, but I do think that Hawkinson has kind of the savvy and the hands to like play bully ball and just win through contact anyway. So it could be one of those things where Hawkinson has a really good day, but if, if everybody else is kind of quiet, then I think Fangio will probably take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that given, um, you know, Justin Simmons and certain and kind of like the Broncos defensive backs being really the strength of, of that unit where they kind of just wipe the lions actual like wide receivers just clean and, and they don't really rack up many catches and it might just be a feed Hawkinson day. But at the end of the day, if you're only throwing to like one person uh, in general, like your offense isn't going to put up many points. You really need second and third receiving options. So um, yeah, I could, yeah. Again, like what you said, I could see Fangio just sacrificing Hawkinson across the middle of the field or something just to make sure the other wide receivers don't do anything at all. And you, you mentioned that teams have been running a lot of cover three against the lions. Uh, do you, do you think that's in part because of the kind of like the, the dearth of talent at receiver or is that to attack Goff? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, so Goff is when he's not pressured, uh, he's like, he's like kind of an average quarterback, uh, slightly below average. Um, if you, if you look at the numbers or just kind of watch him in general, uh, under pressure, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, you know, he he isn't really that mobile. He's not good at diagnosing where the pressure is coming from and getting away from that. And he'll just turn the ball over a lot under pressure. Um, you know, it's a it's a deer in headlights situation with him. So I see why you know they play a lot of cover three because they know their corners on the outside can win the one on ones against the Lions receivers since they aren't that good. And then it's also just having someone else in the box um, threatening with pressure to, to make sure Goff is uncomfortable and stuff. And that's kind of what I'm expecting the Broncos to try and do. They'll probably mix in a decent bit of man as well, playing cover one, uh, just because the Broncos mm-hmm. run a lot of, of match principles where it'll end up kind of playing out like man, but they'll probably line up and it'll look like zone free snap. Um, Cause they can also do that and they'll spin into cover six out of that. Um, but that'll also give them more bodies around the line scrimmage to try and cause, cause at the end of the day, I think the Broncos know that the lions will want to win by running the ball. So this yeah. is one of those games where I would actually think that even though the Broncos play out of too high, quite a bit, I think this is going to be a game where we see either Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons spinning down quite a bit, uh, to be around the line of scrimmage to help against Williams. Yeah. And you know, if, if the Broncos end up going with that plan, that would be uh, something that I would use to back the coaching staff in the future because, you know, anyone can kind of like run someone else's scheme and just kind of plug things in on that. But if you really show how to adjust based on your opponent, um, you know, it, it really goes a long way, I think, in showing that the coaching staff is legit and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, there's really no reason to play too high against the Lions because off isn't going to throw deep and the receivers are going to beat you deep. So, you know, you don't have to worry about the explosive pass plays. What you do have to worry about is them churning out four or five yards on you on the ground and, um, and then throwing those shorter passes. So you'll, you'll want to have a safety down there, like you said, to, to make sure that doesn't happen. Having watched all year, cause I've, I've really, I've focused on the last three games, but you've actually kind of gone through the whole season if the Broncos are coming out and kind of like still bringing an extra body in the box, do you expect the Lions to still try and establish a run? 
Yeah, because uh, that's kind of just Campbell's um, game plan, you know, going into each game. So it's been a little bit interesting with the Lions for those who don't know. Anthony Anthony Lynn, uh, you know, former Chargers head coach, started the season as the offensive coordinator and play caller. And, uh, you know, ever since uh, the um, the Steelers game, Campbell has taken over as the play caller. Anthony Lynn has kind of been demoted to the run game coordinator. And then there's also been someone who got promoted to the passing game coordinator. So what I think is happening is uh, both the passing game coordinator and the running game coordinator are feeding Campbell uh, a pass play and a run play. And then he's kind of deciding which one he wants to call. And that has been a lot of run plays so far uh, just because, yeah, like, like you, like it, you know, they, they just like, they just want to kind of, establish the run or it's just like not trusting Goff and the receivers um, to make plays and just feeling better about the offensive line run blocking and what Jamal Williams provides as a rusher. Where are you landing on Goff? Because I know the data. I, I only ask because like you and I both like we look at the numbers, we see the game, like we both can kind of look at it from an objective point of view, but also mm-hmm. like there's obviously like you have a rooting interest. Like you care about this, like in a similar way to I care about the Broncos. Like, how do you feel about kind of like, and, and I know this, I, I didn't give you a lot of prep for this, but like, how do you feel kind of about, first of all, the decision to kind of like run golf for this year, but also yeah. like where, like, has he lived up to kind of what you thought he was going to be or is he disappointing? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have really high expectations for golf coming in just because, you know, when you look at the decision from the Rams to trade him, uh, when you kind of analyze that trade, which was two first-round picks and a third-round pick, and Goff for Matthew Stafford, one of the first-round picks was just for Matthew Stafford. And then it's been theorized that the other first-round pick in that trade was to take on Goff's huge contract that the Rams now are um, kind of kicking themselves that they signed. Because when you look at Goff um, neck down, he has all the tools he needs to be an NFL quarterback. Uh, you know, when he's going, when he's throwing to his first read and he's not pressured, he's going to make a pretty good throw most of the time. And we saw that in the first half of the game against the Bears on Thanksgiving when uh, the Lions, you know, scored the two touchdowns there. And then we saw that in the first half in uh, the game against the Vikings this past week when he threw some really good passes. And that's what I thought was his best game of the year because he wasn't really getting pressured then. And then in the second half, when the pressure uh, starts to come on and, you know, he, he has to start going to his second read or something like that. And his, his uh, brain has to start like really, really churning on these types of plays. That's when I think he starts to get frazzled and he turns into like basically what you would expect out of a rookie quarterback. So he's, he's not like a viable long-term option for Lions. He's like an okay bridge quarterback during the rebuild. And um, as long as he's giving, you know, the Lions uh, front office, like an ability to evaluate the rest of the roster. Like, I think he's, he's doing a fine job of that, but it's, it's not, I don't think what they hoped he would be. And I thought, I think they hoped he would be better than, than how he's played this season. When I was watching the three games, that that's you you touched on this. The post snap, like the the processing to me, I think mm-hmm. is the biggest really the biggest thing that the Broncos can probably try and take advantage of. Uh what concerns me is I, I do think, like you said, 
Denver basically needs to get some sort of heat on him and hurry up his process. Cause if he has time to just set up, he'll get comfortable and get into a rhythm just like, you know, any quarterback does. And he's halfway decent when he does that. Yeah. But if you start to frazzle him, you can see it. It's almost like you can see the hamster on the wheel kind of starting to move and it takes a second. Cause it has to wake up. Um, and, and to me, like, I think the Broncos will probably try and trap him some if they're in must pass situations, they'll probably send yeah. games at him to try and make him feel the pressure. And then they'll probably try and bring somebody across where he's not expecting it just because he will throw those into tight windows at times. And he can get mm-hmm. kind of, he can get trapped, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that though, because I think in a lot of ways, that's what Teddy Bridgewater is, uh, yeah. is, is it is similar to Goff? Um, he's not a long-term viable answer. You don't want him to be your quarterback forever. Uh, but to me, he's filling out what you need him to do and gives you a chance to kind of evaluate what you need to do to the rest of the roster. So I think from George Payton's perspective, he's, he's kind of meeting those expectations. Um, I think for fans, it's extremely frustrating because this is the sixth straight year of not Peyton Manning. So everybody is kind of just tired of like not good enough quarterbacks being out there. And what's really, really been interesting for me is, I mean, and again, I, I just said it, like you see the limitations on tape, like it's not like they're not there, but then you look at the efficiency numbers and, and you, and again, guys, if you don't know this, Tate's does a composite uh, quarterback ranking where he looks at some of the advanced stats and Bridgewater's looked pretty good by those basically all year. And similar to a uh, EPA stat, uh, DVOA, DYAR, uh, uh, DVOA is but it uh, defensive defensive value adjusted or over over uh, adjusted or something like that. Yeah, but 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 what DVOA does, and this is why I like it so much, um, because I know you you probably have seen this. Like I, I quote it a lot. Um, it adjusts for opponents. I like that, and I think that I like that it's efficiency numbers. Like because at the end of the day, getting a first down to me is the most important part. Like I don't care if you're getting five yards on third and ten, you yeah. need to get that first down. Like that's the most important part of it. But I also think like playing against the Eagles defense versus playing against what we just saw from the Chiefs, mm-hmm. like those are that's a completely different fight. So I, I think when a stat does adjust for that opponent or tries to adjust for that opponent, it does give you a better idea of what's going on. So it's been interesting to me that Bridgewater's done so well in those numbers. I want to say he's hovering right around like 14. Um, yeah. And then by EPA, he's like in the top 10 or he's been hovering around the top 10 for a long time. Um, a lot of people hate it. Like a lot of people in Broncos country have, have actually taken on this mantle that basically EPA is a fake stat. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it has, it has some fake elements to it. Uh, you, you know, usually what was kind of, what has been kind of ruining EPA for a lot of us nerds, uh, when we post quarterback leaderboards is Jimmy Garoppolo will rank in the top five almost every season, just because Kyle Shanahan is scheming up wide open receivers and you know the, just that huge yak ability that the 49ers offense has and so this year again Jimmy Garoppolo is in the top five and then Teddy Bridgewater is in the top 10 and so a lot of people that aren't necessarily as into data as I am are looking at that and saying oh like this stat can't be good if if Garoppolo and um and Bridgewater aren't ranking ranking in the top 10 but you know I think I think, you know, EPA can be influenced by a lot of things. It's not like a perfect stat by any mean. Um, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, like 
the the Broncos weapons are I would say better than the average weapons that um, someone has to work with and that doesn't adjust for that you know as much as the stats that we talked about like DVOA adjust for defense it doesn't adjust for who you're throwing to and I would take you know Sutton, Judy, um, Albert O, Fant and and kind of the, uh, Tim Patrick and and those weapons over a lot of other you know uh, receiving options in the league. So I think that's why he's kind of showing up higher in the efficiency than uh, kind of like the the tape people have um, evaluated him this season. And to me, that's that's encouraging though. Like, and, and again, I, I'm at a point, and this is probably one of those like faults in my own character that. I like throwing out the EPA numbers each week just because people kind of lose their minds, even if I don't say anything. If I just say, oh, look at Teddy Bridgewater. If people get people get mad, I, I get DMs for every single week. But the thing is, like, it really does show, as we touched on at the beginning of this show, that's why, like, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or, like, these other quarterbacks are potentially interested in going to Denver. Denver has so many weapons around the quarterback that it'll make an, a, a Hall of Famer it's going to make his job easier in theory. Yeah. And like, so yeah, when, if we were to treat Teddy Bridgewater, like an average quarterback, let's say, which, which I think he is. And I think you agree with that. Like yeah. he's about, you know, he's in the range of probably 14th to 17th quarter, best quarterback in the league. But then if he has these top 10 efficiency numbers or Denver's offense is passing at a top 10 level, that's saying that like, Oh, if you're, you know, if you're like a top, eight quarterback if you're the eighth best quarterback in the league like look at what these weapons can do you could be fifth in efficiency and you could you know throw for almost five thousand yards now that we have a 17th game and and stuff like that with with like what we have in denver right now so yeah it'll be that's why again like we talked about this at the beginning of the show like it's an attractive destination to play quarterback in um just because i think that they've done such a good job building up those weapons agreed and some people are going to get very upset. So I apologize if you get any DMS, but mentioning that Teddy Bridgewater is the 14th to 17th best quarterback in some parts of Broncos country is like considered heresy right now. Uh, there is a noticeable segment of Broncos country. Who's basically just, he is a backup. He will never play blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's true. I think when you consider the issues with like injury, because he does seem to get banged up quite a bit, I definitely mm-hmm. could understand. And again, we'll get, kind of into the off season in a second, but I could, but I can understand why like the Broncos may be hesitant to bring him back. Even if Russell Wilson and or Aaron Rodgers is an option, just because paying him big money to be a bridge quarterback when he may not be healthy long enough to like serve as a valuable bridge might be a concern. Um, mm-hmm. But when he's been healthy and playing, like I don't have a huge knowing what he is. Cause again, like this is, you know, with the expectations I had going into the year, he's meeting him. Like he, he does a good job getting the ball in the hands of playmakers. Yes. He's probably too conservative. Yes. He takes some sacks that you really wish he didn't, but he, but he opens up your offense in a way that the Broncos didn't have last year, like just straight up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the interesting about, uh, the interesting thing about that is, uh, you know, if we were to talk about Drew Locke, which I'm kind of opening a a different door here, but um, <laughs> if we're talking about, you know, kind of Drew Locke in, in that offense last year, uh, you know, he, he like could make some big, big time throws and like he has a good arm and stuff like that, but they were just 
so many mistakes that he would um, missing open receivers and stuff. So Bridgewater, who I'm, I think has it's, it's looked like he's been playing hurt the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, you can you can probably attest to that better than I can. Definitely. Uh, so you know, if he, he can just kind of float the boat, and if you have like a top five defense, which I think the Broncos have the talent to get to eventually. Uh, and then, yeah, again, like reiterating the point about the weapons, you know, that's that's a pretty good roster at the end of the day that that can kind of compete for um, maybe not maybe not a Super Bowl, but you know, you never know with playoff variance, but at least a playoff spot uh, and and like a, a pretty good playoff spot. And and that's I I know we're kind of going off into a tangent, so that I apologize, but like that to me is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you about Tapers Water to begin with. Just because when we talked about this back during training camp, the difference between Bridgewater and Locke, the idea was the argument for Bridgewater is basically if you think you have a defense good enough to like kind of be the stabilizing force, having average-ish quarterback play might be good enough to basically be a playoff team. And yes, there, there's this is not me saying that Tay Bridgewater's had some games where he just like completely didn't help. Because the Chiefs game, he was definitely like there was definitely big issues. He was completely ineffective in the Ravens game. But that said, the Broncos lost the Browns game and I would say the Eagles game mostly because the defense let them down. And yeah. and yeah. so it's like one of those things where like early part of the year the defense was not good enough. Meanwhile, Br- Bridgewater's been about as good as you expected him to be. So I understand people being upset in general. And again, like dear listener, I, I like I'm not trying to offend you, but. I understand people being upset that Tay Bridgewater is not as good as we want him to be, but he's also having a career year. Like this is what they gave a six round pick to get from him. Like the Mm -hmm. issues that are cropping up on the team, like you expected this from Bridgewater. The other issues are the parts that are like, well, crap, that's not good. Um, So kind of like as a segue, I do expect Bridgewater if he's remotely close to healthy. And again, like that's not a given right now. I do think that the Broncos will be able to move the ball in the air on the Lions. Um, I think Amani Aru, and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I apologize, but Amani Aruwarie is pretty good. Like I, I think he's been better than I think most people outside of Detroit will give him credit for. Yeah. But I would say that outside of him, the the secondary is kind of kind of shaky in the corner room. Uh, losing Jeff Okuda definitely hurt. Uh, and the Broncos have Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. So I feel like the game plan for Shermer and Bridgewater should almost be basically throw wherever Amani isn't. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think I agree with that. Uh, Awarie has been a kind of like a ball hawk this year. Um, you know, he's, he's accumulated a lot of interceptions. I'll, I'll reference the Thanksgiving game again, because I think, you know, a lot of people that that might be the only time they watch the lines this season. So, you know, he had the he had the really good interception in the in the Thanksgiving game in the end zone where he picked up Andy Dalton. Um and then another name to kind of watch out for is this undrafted free agent uh who we signed who's a rookie right now who we who we signed, you know, after the draft, named Jerry Jacobs. And so the interesting thing about Jacobs this year has been he's like been impressive given, you know, kind of what you expect out of like an undrafted free agent rookie and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see him against, um, you know, whoever the Broncos second receiver is that day. I know they have like a lot of, a lot of good options there. Uh, and, but you know, you can, you can kind of pick apart the rest of the Lions defense 
especially the linebackers in coverage or Will Harris as a safety and, and stuff like that. Um, and Jacobs is 5'11", 203, so he shouldn't be a size issue. Like, he shouldn't have necessarily size issues against, like, Tim Patrick or Colton Sutton if he ends up on him, though. Um, mm-hmm. This might be another continuation of, like, the Jerry Judy games that we've seen since Judy's been back. Um, I know after the Chiefs game, kind of a lot of people in Broncos country are starting to try and, like, throw out the numbers of receptions Colton Sutton and Tim Patrick have and say, like, why did they pay them? Um, first of all, I think that's ridiculous, but... But I could see Jerry Judy being kind of like the X factor in the receiving core, just because Jerry Judy low key is the Broncos best receiver. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just so good at separating and, and because, and also, and this is worth noting his game jives like perfectly with Bridgewater's and the fact that like he's a short to intermediate threat reliably does a really good job separating. So Bridgewater feels really comfortable just putting the ball on him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Sutton and Patrick, both of them are better like jump ball situations. So you're asking then Bridgewater to kind of play against what he is and kind of give them chances and he'll do it. He'll do it occasionally. We've seen it happen this year, but especially since he's gotten hurt, we've seen a lot less of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with all, all of that, what you said. Um, yeah, I think Judy is a terrific route runner. So if we, if we take a look at kind of like last week, uh, Adam Thielen goes down early for the Vikings. So they're kind of left with Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne as their top two receivers. And Justin Jefferson just completely takes over the game. Um, I think he ended up finishing with like 150 yards or something like that against the Lions. So I, you know, I don't think Judy is necessarily on Jefferson's level, but Judy is a terrific route runner and he is going to be able to separate against this Lions defense and probably churn some big uh, yak plays, uh, you know, if the, if the balls are delivered accurately and, and Bridgewater is feeling good and stuff. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If Bridgewater can't play, I think all bets are off in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, but before we get to line scrimmage stuff, because I, I do think that like what happens up front is going to be very important in this matchup as well. But I do think, and again, like I am probably the most ardent Julak critic in Broncos country, I feel like at this point. I don't mean to be, but I think I am. But but we have now seen Drew Locke play in relief twice this year, and he has looked awful both times. I, based on what I've seen, it looks like he's regressed. Like, it looks like he has gotten worse. Uh, I, I do think that the Lions have enough up front to create pressure that if Drew Locke plays, it's kind of an anything goes. Like, it could be the Broncos game still, but that could be, like, kind of like what, Detroit needs to really get a win streak going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you look at the stats last year, uh, we were kind of talking about it with golf and Locke had a similar season where he was like average to below average when not pressured and then just really bad under pressure. Um, and so if, if lines were able to get pressure like they did against Kirk cousins last week in the first half, which really affected him and drew Locke is playing, that's kind of an avenue to the Lions winning the game. 
but at any time Locke could make like a tremendous throw uh, through a tight window or down the field or something like that. That kind of blows it open for the Broncos, uh, which I could see happening um, for for the Lions. So, so yeah, that'll that'll be interesting to see if, if that actually happens and Bridgewater isn't able to play. Uh, And again, all signs are Bridgewater will play. So like, and I know you know that, Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying it for listeners. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I I could see it being a factor because Bridgewater has looked banged up for a couple weeks now. Um, And the thing is the, the Broncos on offense in terms of like their protection, I would say at this point, they're at their best at the tackle spots, Bobby Massey and Garrett Bowles. Neither one of them are necessarily world beaters, but they are both reliable pass protectors and I think that they should be able to mostly hold up versus the Lions edge rush. But the Lions, the Lions have been doing some sneaky good things on the interior. Akeem McNeil and uh, Levi Onwuzuriki, him in particular, Onwuzuriki has been c- quietly kind of a good gap shooter. And then McNeil is kind of like the dancing bear type that's going to probably give Lloyd Cushenberry some issues just because McNeil has the quickness to get off the ball. But he's also strong mm-hmm. enough that he'll be able to push Cushenberry back into the backfield and bull rush him. So like the interior rush could be an issue because Quinn Miners playing next to, to Cushenberry Miners has been very, very good as a run blocker, but he's yeah. definitely had some issues in pass pro that really showed up against the chiefs. Granted, part of it is the chiefs have one of the better game, like better stunts and games. And then they also have personnel to really cause a lot of problems. But also, it is notable, and I do think that that could be a little bit of a recipe for Detroit to try and follow. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the you know the the pass rush off the edge isn't there for the Lions right now. You, losing Trey Flowers uh, with a season-ending injury um, kind of you know gave up all hope. You know that the edge rush wasn't that good to begin with, and then you lose you know probably your best edge rusher and someone you're paying a ton of money to do that. And, uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of goes down the chute. Um, but yeah, inside I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Levi Ozerinke. I think that he's done a really good job in his rookie season. And then McNeil is, I think he's fine right now. You know, he's third round pick rookie, uh, kind of playing, you know, a lot of snaps for a team that, um, that's having, you know, some trouble, but I, yeah, I think, I think he could, he could kind of like plug some gaps in the run game. So that'll be an interesting matchup to watch between uh, Quinn Myers and, and, uh, and McNeil uh, when, when the Broncos run the ball. And when the Broncos run the ball, uh, this is going to be an interesting thing to watch just because I think most people in Broncos country are ready for Javante Williams to basically just get all the carries. Uh, and you shared a cool graph with me last week, right before the chiefs game. Um, and I actually had to explain it to me cause I, I was not completely sure on it. Um, but it kind of, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but based on what I, my understanding of that graph and then like the other numbers I've seen combined with kind of what I've seen when I'm watching Devontae Williams, he's a little bit of a boomer bust runner. Um, and that's not a huge surprise because he's very inexperienced kind of coming into the league in terms of like how many carries he's had. Um, but it's a notable issue in terms of like his decision-making and when to cut stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's compiled by the, or it's, it's made worse by the fact that the Broncos offensive line also allows a quite a few, quite a few stuffs. So like yeah. those two issues together are kind of causing the Broncos to end up in a lot of third and long situations because Shermer will run first and second down. And if neither of those go anywhere, all of a sudden it's like third and 10 and you're still throwing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so the, the interesting thing about Javante Williams is if we take it all the way back to his college days, uh, one of the research projects that I did for PFF over the summer was kind of creating uh, some new metrics evaluating running backs in college. And so something that I found uh, that was really interesting was a running back's explosive run rate. So the rate of carries where they get uh, 10 yards over what is expected based on how the offensive line is blocking and, uh, you know, kind of like the game situation and like the amount of box defenders and stuff like that. So the rate that they have explosive runs out of that situation um, is the most predictive of how they'll actually perform in the NFL. So not only did Javante Williams lead all running backs last season in college rushing yards over expected, he had one of the higher uh, explosive run rates during his tenure at North Carolina. So that's why I was pretty high, uh, you know, on him coming out of college. And then, like you mentioned, we've seen that in the NFL um, with with his boomer bust runs where, you know, sometimes he'll get stopped behind the line of scrimmage, which is okay because that happens to a lot of running backs around the league. But if you hit those explosive runs, uh, it's, it's something that you can sustain over a long period and it can make yourself a really good running back in the NFL. So I think that he should be getting the majority of the carries because of, you know, kind of the, the missed tackle rate and the explosive run rate and, you know, just watching him and, and seeing what he gives over Melvin Gordon right now at, at their stage in the career. Yeah. And, and again, to be fair, this is one of those things where I feel like this is one of those things where I think Twitter is not necessarily real life because I feel like on Twitter, I spend a lot of time trying to fight the narrative that Javante Williams is basically the best thing ever. And again, like I'm very high on him, but, but it's kind of one of those things where everybody is kind of falling over themselves to say like, you know, give him all the carry, give him all the stuff. But to me, it's, we, we, we continue to have this issue with Teddy Bridgewater in third and long, but if, but if a guy is getting stuffed a lot, yeah. Like that feeds into it. Like everything in football, you know, is tied together. So I, I love Javante Williams and I do think he's going to improve in time. Cause I, th- I think we've seen it. Uh, Todd Gurley was another boomer bust runner early in his career. And then two years in, all of a sudden he was very dominant until injuries started to kind of pile up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am optimistic that Javante Williams will get better at this. I also think Shermer could do a better job kind of playing into his strengths with more gap concepts. Um, but kind of, that's where I'm at is just that I understand why they're doing a timeshare. I do think that as the Broncos fall farther and farther out of the playoff, like race, it makes more sense to play the younger players too. Uh, so we'll kind of mm-hmm. see. Um, but I do think that the, the lions based on the numbers, the lions run defense, the first line of like their defense is not great. The Broncos should be able to have success uh, running off of the left side, which is awesome because that's where, Don Reisner and Garrett Bowles are. And then if they're going to run gap, you would have Quinn Miners pulling across. So like there should be opportunities to run like that. Um, and they don't get a lot of stuffs, which should help. The the one thing that I did notice in the numbers, and this kind of shows up in the games too, because I want to touch on them. The lines are pretty good at capping runs, like at the second and third level, they don't allow a, a ton of explosive runs once they get past the first level but they do happen to give up quite a bit of like four or five yard chunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because I talked about earlier how the lions uh, linebackers aren't good in coverage, but they kind of make up for that with their run defense. I've thought this year, um, you know, with, with Anzalone uh, who played really well against the Rams and stopping their run game 
in that game a couple weeks ago. And then he played his best game of the season, I thought, against the Bears on Thanksgiving, um, you know, kind of stopping their running game and stuff like that too. And he was pretty good in coverage that game. So that that's an area where I could see the Lions, you know, if if they do let up a lot of runs through the first level, which I think they will because they're, they just don't have the players to, to stop the run right now and they play the too high defense that kind of opens up to the running game. But we could see Anzalone or some of the other linebackers like the rookie fourth-round pick Derek Barnes uh, kind of shoot through some of the, the gaps and get there in time to, to only make it a three, four-yard run instead of like seven or eight yards. And and I do agree with you that Anzalone has like limitations in coverage, but I, I do want to also mention that like I was encouraged, like he jumped out to me as a guy who he does a good job reading the quarterback's eyes in coverage. Um, I do think his athletic limitations kind of show up and just that he just can't keep up with a lot of people. But, but when he's just dropping into a zone, like he, he had in the three games I watched, I, I, I want to say he broke up three different passes, which that's pretty mm-hmm. good for a linebacker. Um, yeah. so I, I do think that if Bridgewater is sloppy with the ball or if Locke comes in, there is a chance that they end up giving the ball right to him. I hope not, but like, I definitely could see it. Um, cause this is kind of the other part of this that I think a lot of fans in Broncos country are kind of sleeping on. Aaron Glenn actually is coordinating this defense really well. There's just a lot of, there's personnel limitations. Like that is honestly, to me, the biggest thing that shows up. I don't think they're, they're calling bad stuff. I just think there's holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think Aaron Glenn, um, you know, kind of the injuries that the Lions defense got, they expected Jeff Okuda to be their top corner this year, uh, kind of like what Sertain has been for the Broncos. Uh, and then he gets injured in week one. And then they expected Trey Flowers to be their best overall defensive player. And he's been injured most of the season. And so, and then you're working with, you know, a bunch of players that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn brought in to play the Patriot way and play a lot of the single high stuff, the man coverage stuff. And, uh, and, and Glenn has taken all that in and kind of designed a defense that should be worse than the league. But like, because of the job he's doing and the way he's changed his game plan um, to different quarterbacks and to different types of offenses, it's not like as bad as I expected it to be. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just like a below average defense, but it's not like terrible where they're letting up uh, touchdowns on every drive like Matt Patricia used to do. Well, I think the, the Lions defense is the reason why they've had so many close games to me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't like, and again, I'm not trying to be a, be an asshole about it, but like when I watch the offense, like the offense is kind of living up to what I thought. Um, by and large, I think the running game is definitely better than I expected, but, but overall, like the, the, the lions offense, isn't going to be the way that they beat the Broncos if they do, unless other things happen, but the lions have enough stuff going on on defense that I could see like a turnover here, a special teams mistake. And we're going to get to that. God help me. But, (laughs) but, but I think like if the Lions defense comes to play and they get a couple breaks and then the special teams does what I think that they probably will, that could be enough if the offense doesn't like implode. Mm -hmm. And that's to me, that looks like kind of the recipe for success for the Lions. But, but I think that that's a testament to Glenn. I I think he's done a really good job. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And if you kind of go through the close games that the Lions have played this year, 
all the losses have been on the offense. Um, you know, Glenn put together a pretty good game plan against Lamar. You know, the Ravens dropped a lot of passes in that game too, so you can contribute the defensive performance to that. And then, you know, against the first, in the first Vikings game, uh, they they basically shut down the the Vikings offense, and um, it was the Lions offense that couldn't put up enough points to win that game. The Steelers game is a story where Lions held the Steelers to 16 points, uh, but were only able to only able to score 16 points of their own which is why it went into overtime and finished in a tie. And then the next week against the Browns was the same thing where the Lions defense played so well in that game. Uh, you had Baker Mayfield's wife posting on her Instagram story after the game, kind of get, you know taking away the blame from Baker and giving it to like some other people on the staff and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and, and then you get one good offensive performance of the season from the Lions against the Vikings in the second game, and they end up winning that game. So, um, yeah, I totally agree that you're probably going to get a subpar performance from the Lions offense in this game, especially against the Broncos defense. So if, if they were to keep it close, it would be the defense playing well and kind of slowing down the, the Broncos offense um, and especially their, their passing game. And so I touched on it. The other sneaky, like, the Lions have a good special teams, like legit have a good special teams. Uh, they're ninth in special teams DVOA. Uh, when I've watched games, um, Raymond is definitely going to be a dangerous returner. Uh, he is going to, especially when you consider the fact that the Broncos have arguably one of the worst coverage units in the league. Uh, their punt coverage and their kickoff coverage is both really bad. Um, like, and this isn't like, I'm not trying to just say like fire McMahon, but like the Broncos are basically good for us special teams blunder every week. Um, including like on top of like being very penalized. So basically every single week this year, something big has gone against the special teams. And I feel like Raymond on a return is probably the most likely. Uh, but the Lions, like, they're good at returning. They actually have good punt coverage as well. So Deontay Spencer's probably going to be quiet. Hopefully he doesn't muff another punt. Um, but like basically around the, like top to bottom, each unit on their special teams is, is at least capable. Yeah, I mean, so I you know, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Lions punter Jack Fox, who I think is one of the best punters in the league right now. So yeah, like what you mentioned, there probably won't be much uh, punt return ability because Fox has like a great leg uh, when he's punting, so he'll punt it far. And then the Lions punt coverage gets down there quickly, and um, they've been good at like downing the ball or making sure the returner doesn't return it and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I do I do think that the Lions have in an edge in special teams in this game. And, you know, if we were to look at other areas where they might be able to keep it close, maybe they bust a um, return uh, or if it's a, kind of a sloppy game and they, they keep winning the field position battle because um, the Lions punter is better than the Broncos punter and stuff like that. That's, that's another area where you can kind of talk yourself into this being like a one possession game instead of the Broncos, like taking care of business and, and, beating the lions pretty badly. What's your prediction for this game? If the lions are going to spring the upset, cause I'm, I'm assuming, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're going to probably pick the Broncos. Cause it, mm-hmm. as we've talked, it sounded, you, you sound pretty like, I think the lions will put up a good effort, but the Broncos will probably win. It's, it's kind of the vibe I'm getting, but if the lions yeah. spring the upset, uh, how does it happen? Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you've uh, read me right here. I do. I do think the Broncos win. Um, but I do think it'll be a close game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, the, the Lions play hard, 
and the Broncos aren't set up to right now, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were blowing out bad teams like the Giants and the Jaguars and stuff like that. But with Bridgewater's uh, injury and the offense, you know, regressing a little bit to the mean, I don't know if they're necessarily set up to blow anyone out in their current state. So I could see, uh, you know, the the run game really gets going as as Fangio kind of sticks in that too high shell and the Lions are able to sequence play action because of that, and they get another good defensive performance. And, you know, at at uh, at the end of the game, we're sitting there, and the Lions have won, like, maybe 20 to 17 or something like that, where they're able to drive the field a couple times, capitalize on a special team's mistake, and play well against uh, maybe, like, an injured quarterback. Uh, and, you know, there has to be a little bit of luck involved uh, for the Lions to get the win on the road there, too. So that that's a pathway I could see them winning the game, but you know if they were to play this game ten times, I would see the Broncos winning like seven or eight of them. That's fair. Uh, so and again, I I don't if I'm keeping you too long, let me know. But I but I also I would be remiss if I don't since you're a Lions fan and and again like I live in Michigan, so like I definitely I pay attention to Lions, but like most Lions fans I know kind of always have at least a little bit of an eye towards the off season. Cause like once kind of the year starts to move, you start to kind of quickly accept like we're playing, you know, we're playing for next year. Kind of. Um, so first of all, I, I want to ask like, have you started to kind of look ahead to the off season and like what you think the Lions should do? Um, and then also like what, what are your kind of your thoughts on this upcoming off season? Like in terms of like what positions look strong, that kind of stuff, like what jumps out to you? Yeah, uh, I've been looking ahead to next off season since last off season. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've I've thought about it a lot. Um, and so, you know, the, I think the main thing that is the strength of lines right now, which is something we've talked about a lot during the show, is the offensive line, uh, especially when they get Frank Frank Ragnow back, um, who's one of the better centers in football. Uh, Evan Brown, who has filled his spot, has actually done a pretty good job. But, you know, having a too deep offensive line, I think, is something that I'm pretty excited about, given, you know, how often offensive linemen get injured and stuff like that. So that's, that's definitely a strength. And then um, they have, you know, they still have a lot of holes to plug. So when we look ahead to the draft here, they're probably going to have the number one pick. Um, it, it'll at least be in the top three. So uh, there's, there, there haven't really been any quarterback prospects in college that I think have played well enough to warrant the number one overall pick. So I could see the Lions taking one of the edge rushers uh, at the top, either Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan and kind of doing the hometown story there, or Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, who has, you know, people have said he has the ceiling of kind of like a Miles Garrett or something like that. And so that will help a lot with the lack of in edge rusher uh, right now, you know, as the team kind of moves on from Trey Flowers, uh, you know, one of those edge rushers will really will really uh, give Aaron Glenn some personnel that he can really build a defense uh, around that I think could end up being like a, an average to above average defense at the end of the day. And then with the other first round pick that they got from the Rams trade, um, I could see them drafting a wide receiver there for sure, as we know this is a pretty good wide receiver class, and they really need a true wide receiver one right now. And this is a good free agency wide receiver class um, with Devontae Adams, 
Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, and, and names like that becoming available. So they could they could get wide receiver from there too. But, you know, you want to get it through the draft so that you're paying them the rookie contract and stuff like that. And I, I trust Brad Holmes, uh, who's the GM, and, and the rest of his team to draft the right prospect in that situation and kind of build up this pass offense that is pretty lackluster right now. The Lions have about $40 million in cap space, so really kind of like whatever they want is available to them in terms of like going forward. Like they, they're not really limited by cap. Um, I, I want to say, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jared Goff is under contract for next year. Uh, do you, and again, I, I want to ask this in part because I think Broncos fans are in a similar boat, assuming, you know, Russell Wilson and Rogers, though that kind of tier of quarterback, let's say they don't become available. The Broncos and the Lions in a way are kind of in the similar situation where both teams, I think ideally would like to get a rookie quarterback. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There may not necessarily be a, a rookie quarterback worth taking. Um, and again, like I'm not trying to, you know, disparage this class, but like everything I've read is, and then like based on like, the few guys I have started to watch, it looks to me a lot like there's a lot of second round ish type guys. Whereas like if everything goes right, they might be a competent starter. It doesn't necessarily look like there's a franchise guy or a guy I would feel confident in becoming a franchise guy in this class. So then it becomes this argument of, well, are we really willing to do this for another year where we don't know what the future of the position is? And and again, I don't necessarily know the the answer, but I, I'm curious, like, as to where you land on that, just because, like, you're a long suffering fan, like Broncos fans. Yeah, six years is bad, but like, Lion, like, and again, I, I say this as somebody who's watched it up close. Like, Stafford had some really good years where you guys made the playoffs, but like, it's it's it seems like a perpetual rebuild in a lot of ways. So it's like when the chance to get a quarterback is there, it almost feels like a lot of fans feel like I feel like they'd be justified jumping at it. But to me, is it worth taking the wrong guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's the interesting thing about having uh, two first-round picks in both the 2022 draft and the 2023 draft. Uh, you know, if, if you know, I, I hope they don't take the quarterback um, with that number one overall pick, uh, just because I don't I don't think there's one that has played well enough to to warrant that selection. So if you take one with your second first-round pick. And, you know, that's the Rams pick, so it'll be in the 20s somewhere, I'm sure. Like, that's fine. Like, you know, you, you want to see what you can, can get out of a, a rookie quarterback. Um, and, that, you know, that's okay at the end of the day. And then if that one doesn't work out, you know, you have, you have two more first-round picks the next year to maybe trade for someone using those picks, trade up if they win a couple games the next season and, um, and aren't picking at the top of the draft or just use one of those first-round picks on – another another quarterback and you know you have some experimentation there um so you know what i've what I've kind of echoed to a lot of fans uh when they ask about this draft this season uh you know i i you know i hope i hope they pick good players at important positions and stuff like that 
but a lot of the stuff they do in this rebuild doesn't really matter unless you hit on the quarterback whenever you take that quarterback. Um, and we see that with the Cleveland Browns right now where they built up this great roster and they're probably going to miss the playoffs because they weren't able to hit on their quarterback pick. And to me, and I'm glad you mentioned the idea of taking a quarterback this year with the second first round pick. And then if it doesn't work out, you could always just take another one because I agree with that in theory. Like just keep swinging, keep swinging until you get a guy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am always kind of like in the back of my mind, I always have this, this part of me though. How often do teams do it? Like, like yeah. you and me, like, again, like to me, it makes perfect sense. Cause like, if I take a quarterback and he look, he sucks eggs, like, sorry, man, like this is a business. Like I like you, but you know, we gotta, we gotta find the guy. But like GMs have this sunk cost fallacy where it's like, well, I spent the 20th overall pick on this quarterback. I have to give him three years. And it drives me nuts. Cause a lot of times, like it's pretty obvious, really like Mitch Trubisky it's pretty obvious very quickly that Mitch Trubisky was not going to be a franchise quarterback, but yeah. the bears hung on to him too long. And they ended up missing mm -hmm. and the Broncos, you know, the Broncos did this with Paxton Lynch Broncos just did this with Drew Locke, who was a second round pick. So like, to me, like on, on my side of it from, you know, from a Broncos fans perspective, I feel like it makes sense. And I hope that if the Broncos do take a quarterback this year, that is what they do, but I can't help but think that like, they're going to basically sit on it for three years and hope. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I, I think Josh Allen's uh, kind of career uh, progression is going to ruin a lot of that, uh, you know, the sunk cost, which you talked about. Um, what, you know, what the Cardinals did moving on from Josh Rosen so quickly to get their guy in Kyler Murray, who I think should be the league MVP this year, and it ended up working out, doesn't seem to carry the weight that it should. Uh, you know, if, if you're not satisfied with who you have at quarterback and you don't think you have a top 10 quarterback and someone that you would trust in those third and longs and stuff like that to go out and make plays, especially at the end of the game. Uh, you know, you, sh you shouldn't just settle for that, that quarterback, and you should always be looking to upgrade, whether that's through the draft, a trade, or free agency, which is rare, but sometimes happens and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I know I'd, it's just tough for GMs to do something like that. But, you know, the, the Lions seem to be a forward-thinking franchise under their new leadership and management right now. I could see them doing something like that uh, in the future. Just be really unconventional uh, for for a front office to do that. And this is one of those things that I, I I might again if you're open to it, I'll probably I would love to have you on to discuss this as we get closer to the actual draft. Once you know we get through the season, but one of the things that's interesting to me about like when you talk about like because you mentioned taking an important position in the first round. And this is one of those things that's always a discourse every year because like, there's always a safety that's impressive. There's always, you know, a linebacker in the first, all that stuff, but it comes down to like, how good to me, how good do you think that guy will actually be once he starts to like really develop? And mm -hmm. we very rarely kind of turn that discussion around on like what the expectation is for a quarterback taken in the first round, but you kind of touched on it. Like if you don't think that guy is going to ever come close to a top 10 guy, shouldn't be married to him in my opinion. Like, yes, you took him in the first round. That's great. And yeah, give him a chance. But like, if you start to kind of feel really pretty sure, like, yeah, this guy will probably be average. At that point, you should probably accept that he's not a first round guy. Just because you took him in the first round doesn't necessarily mean you should commit to him like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what the interesting thing about that is if, if you have an average quarterback on a rookie contract and you are able to build up the rest of your roster, you can compete for a Super Bowl with a uh, rookie contract quarterback 
and really good roster. Um, but then when you get to the point where you have to give that average quarterback an extension and you're not able to pay some of the guys on the roster, which is why I think it's really good that the Broncos have paid their wide receivers this season um, and, and kind of make sure that's set so that you don't make the mistake of bringing in an average quarterback. Like if, if uh, they, I, you know, I don't want to hate too much on Baker Mayfield, but like if he, if he became available um, you know, after his fifth year option and the Broncos gave him like a, a pretty big contract to pay to play for them, I think it'd be a mistake at the end of the day um, because you're paying an average quarterback like he's a top 10 quarterback. And we see that problem um, pop up with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings right now. Glad you Kirk Cousins has been playing at a, at a pretty good level and like a, a, a good level that would win games with a lot of teams. But his contract is just so big, they haven't been able to hold on to all the pieces that they needed to be to be a Super Bowl contender and stuff like that. Agreed. And that's, and that's actually kind of one of the discussions that I think, again, assuming Russell Wilson and Rogers, you know that, but if, if it comes down to a Teddy Bridgewater, I think that's going to be the real discussion that happens in the room with George Payne is he's been okay. He's been hovering around league average for us. But as of, th- as of right now, the Broncos are on the hook. I want to say for $4.5 million of his contract this year. And the Panthers are paying 17 million. Uh, going forward, if he's getting paid a fair market value, and right now you look at the 2022 free agent class, it's probably Jameis and Teddy are the top two guys, barring, you know, somebody getting cut. So Bridgewater's probably going to have a few pretty decent offers out there, and it's like, well, does it make sense for the Broncos to be the one on the hook for it? And I don't know the answer as of right now, but I think that's going to be ultimately what they have to decide on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a tough decision, and yeah, like I don't know if if he wants to come back on what he's you know that four that four million dollar uh, mark that you mentioned. Like the Broncos would love to pay that, I'm sure, yes. but I'm sure he's gonna I'm sure he's gonna get more than that on market value. So it's gonna be um, really tough to to bring him back, um, especially if there's another option available through a trade or uh, you know with the Broncos picking in the middle of the first round. So kind of the the last thing I, I want to bug you about, just because I, I got to get your thought on this. Um, one thing I have kind of been kicking around the back of my head is if the Broncos are looking for a quarterback come draft time, they have, you know, Tay Bridgewater or Jameis or, you know, some, some guy who could at least bridge 2022. And nobody loves this upcoming class. I think that they, they could feasibly trade out of the, first round of 2022 and try and pick up a 2023 if they can obviously you know you need a partner i made a mock for it fans hated it but by and large most fans did not like it because they say you just wasted you know the first round like what are you going to do but to me it's like if, if there's not a guy at the top of this draft that you love enough to spend that on and you can get the ammo to chase a cj stroud or a bryce young or you know whoever in 2023 mm-hmm. to me it's worth it if you have no other way to get a franchise guy yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, you should you should never feel like you're forced into taking a player. Um, and yeah, if you if you don't love that player, like uh, if we look at kind of where the the Cowboys were in this draft, right? So uh, they're they're sitting there and they're, they're thinking that they'll get one of the corners, either J.C. Horner or Patrick Sertain, and then both of them are taken by the Panthers and Broncos right before the Cowboys picked. And so the Cowboys didn't love any of the players remaining on the board. 
So they traded back, and they ended up getting, you know, what will probably be the defensive rookie of the year. Um, so, like, it, it, it works out to trade back sometimes, uh, and, and especially if you don't love the guy there. Like, it's always good to pick up ammunition later on and, and kind of future picks and, and stuff like that. That way you can trade up if you need to go get a quarterback. At the end of the day, it's it's kind of wild. Like, and again, you probably appreciate this even more than I do. Like, there's so many different facets of football that you you can you know put like numbers on. You can like observe. You can analyze. But at the end of the day, like in a lot of ways, it's so simple that basically like the teams with quarterbacks are the ones that are going to win consistently. <laughs> it's frustrating. I know. I, it, it is pretty crazy. Um, and yeah, and, and Broncos fans have I think felt that the most with. The extremes, really good quarterback play out of Manning, and you know the twenty thirty, and then yeah, it's really quarterback plans, and you know you've seen that reflected in the roster. No matter how good your defense is, in today's NFL, uh, twenty fourteen was a little bit different. You know when the no fly zone was happening with the Broncos and stuff like that. But in today's NFL, it's just the high end passing offenses are are usually going to win out. Well, it's just I think just offensive coordinators are too good to consistently shut them down every single week. Especially when you get to this point where, like, like yeah, Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen, like, these guys who can win out of structure. Because, like, even if you shut down the coordinator, the quarterback might still kill you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, the next time the Broncos play the Lions, both teams have a franchise quarterback. That'd be cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, we we have a lot more excitement um, on this show for sure. That would be that'd be a lot of fun. Definitely. Uh. Thank you again so much for coming on. And again, guys, if you do not already follow Tej on Twitter, go do it. He is at Tej FB Analytics. Um, it is T-E-J-F-B-A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S. Um, yeah, man, thank you so much for joining. It was fun. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. This was a great experience, and uh, I'm excited to watch the game on Sunday. <laughs>